Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to Mark 16, verse 15. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And this this commission, I mean, this is really the same, the same uh, commission that's given in Matthew 28 with a few additional details. Uh, it's also, you also find it in the early chapters of, of the book of Acts. And Mark's account tends to be the least quoted. And if they do quote the Mark account, it's just verse 15 often that's quoted. And that's because there's some things here that are a little bit difficult to, to deal with a lot of times if we're going to try and make this the commission for the, the uh, church today. Okay. Now, the reason that, that uh, this commission before Christ ascends, the reason that it's often emphasized in churches is because you see the, the first few words there, it says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In uh, Matthew, it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right? And so uh, oftentimes, you know, these verses will be used as as theme verses for a missions conference or, or something like that. Uh, and, and again, most churches would view these commissions as being their marching orders for today. So he tells them to go in, into all the world. Now the question then would be, is this commission, does this commission have to do with that, you know, that way that salvation would go out to the Gentiles through Israel? Or do we see here the you know the beginning of what we see later in in Paul's epistles with it being through through Israel's fall? Um, you know which is it? Is this a part of that that uh, prophecy program, or is the mystery beginning to be revealed here? And this this commission, along with the commission in Matthew, again just you know different writers' accounts of the same thing. These all. Uh, are a part of their continuation of that program that Isaiah was talking about that we looked at last time. That's why in Acts, the emphasis is on Jerusalem first, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. When you allow this this uh, commission here in Mark just to mean exactly what it says, but leave it to whom it's written when, it, when it's written, uh, there's no problems with the passage. Okay? So he, he tells them to go into all the world. He tells them to preach the gospel to every creature. And gospel is one of these words. It's a general term. It means good news. And every time the word is used in the Bible, it's not necessarily referring to the same thing. Um, for instance, when, when um, in the book of Galatians, it says that the gospel was preached unto Abraham. 
that in him all the all the uh, nations of the world would be blessed. Okay, now that was a specific message to Abraham. Now certainly we can see uh, how that's fulfilled in Christ, and you know, and we can we can understand those things. But understand the specific message that was given to Abraham was not what we would call the gospel, the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Right? We can see in hindsight that it that it relates to the gospel, the grace of God, but the specific message that was given to Abraham was something different. Now, if if we assume some things about the passage, we can assume, for instance, that Christ here is, is giving a commission to his disciples. We can assume that he expects them to be able to understand what he's telling them to do. Right? And so if if we assume that, if we assume that you know, they can understand what he's telling them about. We have to say, well, what would they understand as the gospel? And again, if we go back, go, go to, um, go to Luke chapter nine. I'll just show you something here. We looked at Matthew 10 last time. Luke nine is the parallel account in Luke with regard to that. Uh, you see in Luke nine, verse one, it says, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, so they're preaching the the kingdom of God here. You see in verse 6 it says, they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They're preaching a gospel about a kingdom. They're preaching what, what Christ had been preaching, and they're preaching that the kingdom is at hand. Right? That is the gospel of the kingdom, and that is what Christ sends them out here to preach in Luke chapter 9. Now, that is different than what you have, for instance, when you get into 1 Corinthians 15 and, and Paul's reminding the Corinthians about the Gospel that he preached to them and by which they were saved. He doesn't mention the kingdom at all there. He says how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day. And just to, to make it clear that that is not, here during the earthly ministry of Christ, that is not what these disciples are preaching. But let's skip ahead. Go to Luke chapter 18 and let me show you something here. There were numerous times during the earthly ministry of Christ when He would tell the disciples about His coming death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, their response was not to say, hey, that's good news, let's go preach that. Uh, their response was what we see here in Luke 18. Now, when we're, when we're moving from Luke 9 to Luke 18, uh, Luke 9 is near the beginning of Christ's ministry when He sends out the twelve to preach. Luke 18, now they've been preaching the Gospel, the Gospel of the Kingdom, for a couple of years by this time. And I want you to notice in Luke 18, verse 31, it says, Then He took unto Him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For He shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on, and they shall scourge Him and put Him to death, and the third day He shall rise again. And notice what their response is in verse 34. And they understood none of these things, this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. See, the gospel that they were commissioned to go out and preach was the kingdom is at hand. Now they understood that, or, or at least they thought they understood that. Um, you know, they, they knew some things about that. They could go out and preach that message and go into these cities of Israel and say the kingdom is at hand. But here when Christ tells them that He's going to die and rise again, they don't understand what he's talking about, 
right? So it's, so it's impossible that they were preaching anything about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ during his earthly ministry. What were they preaching? They were preaching the good news of the kingdom, the good news that the kingdom was at hand. Now, when we get then to the end of these Gospels, there's no reason to believe that when, when he tells them in, in Mark 16, uh, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature, there's, there's nothing you know, in between that time where it would say that the, the Gospel had changed, that they were to preach anything other than what they had been preaching all along, which was that the kingdom was at hand. Now certainly in their preaching after that, uh, you would see them talk about the, the death of Christ, right? And, and um, you would see them you know, rebuking Israel for putting to death their Messiah and giving them the opportunity to repent of that. But it's still the gospel of the kingdom. It's still the, that kingdom at hand that is the issue. Go to Acts chapter 3 and, and let me show you just an example here. Um, here in, in this message that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 3, he, he once again condemns them. You see in Acts chapter 3 verse, verse 14, he says, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses." Now he talks about the death and resurrection, right? But it's a, it's, a, it's a condemnation on them. He says, you killed the prince of life. And in verse 19, what he says is he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets, since the world began. You see what Peter says. He says, okay, so you killed your Messiah. That doesn't mean it's all over for you. You can repent and God will still fulfill the things that He promised and He'll send Jesus Christ to you again. And, and he refers there to the, the time of, times of restitution of all things. Um, and he says it's what has been spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. You don't have mystery being revealed yet. When, when you get into Paul's epistles and he talks about the mystery being revealed, you don't have that uh, here at the end of Mark and you don't have that in the beginning of the book of Acts. All right, We're still on prophecy ground. We're still in the fulfillment of that prophetic program. And in that prophetic program, the message goes out into the, all the world, but it is through, as we saw last time, through Israel's rise that salvation comes to the Gentiles. When you get into the mystery, it's through Israel's fall that salvation is sent to the Gentiles. So let's go back then to our, our text in Mark 16. And that just gives us a little bit of, of context to understand the, the things that we see here. Uh, now, I, I want you to understand when I say that. Uh, you know, when you when you start talking about this commission here, the Great Commission not being for the church today because there are so many churches that have built you know, their, their entire uh, mission program or whatever on that instruction and you say, well, that's not really for the church today. They think you're saying we shouldn't you know, go into the world and, and preach the gospel. And that's not true. Okay? It's just that our instructions to go and preach the gospel in the world are different from the instructions that are given here. And 
you don't see that in, in verse 15, maybe. But when you get farther down into the, the following verses, you do see a difference there. Now let's look at verse 16 then. Verse 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Okay, now again, verse 15 there isn't a lot of argument about, but you get into verse 16 and now all of a sudden we've got a controversy. Because on the one hand, you have the, the, the church of Christ that says you have to be baptized to be saved. You see it says it in the verse. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Right? I mean, it's pretty clear there, right? Uh, the Baptist says, okay, you know, the Baptist comes along and says, yes, it, it says he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but it says he that believeth not shall be damned. So, so the Baptist would, you know, make the point that it's not the, uh, the baptism that saves. Um, it's the belief that saves. Because it doesn't say he that isn't baptized will be damned. Right? It just says, he that believeth not shall be damned. Um, from, from a logical point of view, uh, w- when it says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Okay? So we can conclude something about somebody who is, who both believes and is baptized under this commission. They are saved. We can also conclude something about somebody who doesn't believe, and that is that they will be damned. The verse doesn't tell us anything about somebody who believes but isn't baptized, right? We, we couldn't conclude anything from the verse about that person. It just doesn't tell us anything about them. It tells us something about the person who believes and is baptized, and it tells us about something about the person who doesn't believe. It doesn't tell us anything about the person who believes but doesn't get baptized, okay? So to, to take this verse and say that on the basis of this verse, one must be water baptized in order to be saved, is going beyond what the verse says. You're, you're reading something into the verse that isn't there. Um, not only is it not true that somebody has to be water baptized to be saved today, it wasn't true under this commission either. And we can think of plenty of examples of people that Scripture gives a clear testimony that they were saved during, you know, before this dispensation we live in, and yet they were not baptized in water. Uh, of course, the, the classic example is the thief on the cross with Christ, right? He believes on Christ that day. Uh, they don't let him get down off the cross to go and get water baptized. Uh, he dies there on the cross, and Christ says that that day he would be with him in paradise. It wasn't, there was nothing he was, he was missing out on because he didn't get water baptized, right? It was belief that was the issue. And to, to add water baptism, and say you have to be water baptized to be saved, now you're adding a work into salvation. right? Now you're making salvation not a work of God like the Scripture teaches, but, but you're saying at, at least there's some work that the person has to do. And, and it's unscriptural. Um, so don't let somebody confuse you with a verse like that about, about water baptism. Now as far as today, again, this is where understanding that... that uh, this commission, the place that this commission holds, realize nothing in this commission would would talk about, you know, the current dispensation of grace anyway. But I want to just draw draw a contrast here for you. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, here's another one of these contrasts that we can see between the commission given in Mark and what we see later in Paul's epistles. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, let's start in verse 14. Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Now notice verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, in this passage, Paul is addressing divisions that had arisen at Corinth. And at Corinth, they were dividing, uh, apparently, they were dividing along lines of who had preached the gospel to them. They were dividing along lines of who had baptized them. They were, they were dividing, basically, they were, they were separating themselves into these camps, uh, behind various men, right? Whether it was Peter or Apollos or Paul or, or whatever. And Paul's addressing that. And, and in light of that, Paul says he is thankful that he baptized so few of them there at Corinth. He, he couldn't even remember who all he baptized. But he makes the statement in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize. Now, the word sent there, last time we talked about the word apostle, that word sent is the word from which we get the word apostle. An apostle is a sent one. This is just the verb form of the word. Paul is talking about the commission that he received as an apostle, and he says that commission he received did not include water baptism. Now, Peter could not make the statement that Paul makes in this passage in any context, right? I, I mean, I understand Paul's dealing with, he's not, he's not here trying to teach about water baptism and its place today or, or lack thereof. Uh, he's teaching about divisions in the church. But there's no context in which Peter could make the statement that Paul makes here because Peter was commissioned to baptize in the passage we're looking at in Mark 16. Peter is commissioned, and the rest of the 12 are commissioned, to go into the world and to baptize. Paul says he's commissioned to preach the gospel, but not to baptize. You see, different commissions, different a different sending. Paul is not operating under the Great Commission. He couldn't make the statement that he makes here if he were operating under the Great Commission. And, and uh, so, so back in Mark, uh, you see this emphasis on water baptism. Now what water baptism was, was a, it was a, uh, Peter, Peter describes it in his epistles as the answer of a good conscience toward God. It was not something you did in order to get a clear conscience towards God. It was not something you did to get saved or to have your sins dealt with. It was after you were saved, the answer of a good conscience toward God under this program was to get water baptized. Um, and, and this was really just, I mean, this began with John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist would not baptize the Pharisees because he didn't believe that they had really repented and believed anything, right? So, so, even with John the Baptist, the issue was you need to repent first, you need to have your heart right first, and then come and get water baptized. And, and you see that continuing in this program through the Gospels. Uh, the, these disciples, by the way, of Christ were baptizing long before this point. Christ didn't baptize anybody himself, but his disciples would, would baptize people. 
They were already doing that by this point, and he's telling them to continue to do that. Uh, when you get into the early chapters of the book of Acts, go to Acts chapter 2. And notice that water baptism is a requirement for something in this passage, but it's not a requirement for salvation. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and he gets to the end of his message, verse 37 it says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter's answer is, Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Okay, now the, the baptism there, when it says for the remission of sins, it's not being baptized in order to get remission of sins. It's, be, it's being baptized on account of the remission of sins. If, if you take an aspirin for a headache, you're not taking the aspirin to get a headache. You're taking the aspirin because you have a headache. And here they need to get baptized because they've got remission of sins. They're going to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And notice what it says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, when you're here in the early chapters of the book of Acts, every believer does not have the Holy Ghost. Right? And, and there are people who, there are people who believe during the ministry of John the Baptist who had been believers for years and they don't get the Holy Ghost until much later. Now, again, when you get into Paul's epistles, you find that every believer in the dispensation of grace is indwelt by the Holy Ghost. Another difference here. But here in, in Acts 2, Peter tells them that when they're baptized, that they will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you have nobody in, you know, early here in the book of Acts that receives the Holy Ghost without being water baptized. Now, it doesn't mean they weren't saved. It's just that the Holy Spirit wasn't, you know, wasn't being given to every believer in the way that it is now in the dispensation of grace. That's why it was such a big thing when Peter goes to a Gentile in Acts chapter 10 and God instructs him to go to Cornelius. And God's starting to fill Peter in that he's going to do something new with the Gentiles. And Peter goes to Cornelius and Peter is preaching and Cornelius believes and without being water baptized, he receives the Holy Ghost and it's evidenced by them speaking in tongues. And then Peter after the fact says, well, you know, they're, they're speaking in tongues. They've got the Holy Ghost. Who can forbid water? And they baptize him after the fact. Right? Now that was that was... A new thing for Peter. It didn't work that way previously. It was you got water baptized and then and then you received the Holy Ghost. And it certainly didn't work that way with Gentiles. But God starts doing something new there. See, He gives Peter a, a sign that there's something different going on when you get into those middle chapters in the Book of Acts. Um, so, so water baptism is a part of this commission in Mark. Don't you know? Don't take it to the unbiblical extreme of saying that. Baptism was required for salvation, but you see the emphasis on it. Matthew 28, they're to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Here, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Uh, that, that baptism was a... I mean, under this commission, it was very much what, what most Baptistic churches try to make it to be today. They say it's a, it's an outward sign of an inward work. That's what it was under this commission. Okay. Now, when we get into Paul's epistles, 
we see none of that emphasis on baptism. We see a de-emphasis on water baptism in 1 Corinthians 1, where he says he's not sent to do it and he can't even remember who he baptized. It certainly wasn't a, a big deal to him. Uh, and you see rather an emphasis on one baptism that is a, a spiritual baptism when a person believes the gospel and they're, and they're immersed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. Understand that these distinctions between the prophetic program and the mystery program, and, and however you want to, however you want to phrase it, you know, if you want to make it a distinction between Israel and the body of Christ, between a, an earthly program and a heavenly program, however you want to draw that contrast, there are many passages in the Bible that just just don't make sense any other way, right? So we've seen a lot of these contrasts already um, about about these various things, but. Understand that, that the main feature of that earthly program is that God took this one nation, Israel, that He set apart from everybody else, and it was through them that He would bring salvation to the world. In the dispensation of grace, God's taken that, that one nation and He's set them aside and He's just put them back there with all the rest of the nations. And it's a, it's a message that goes out directly to the Gentiles. And it's not through Israel's rise, it's through Israel's fall. I want you to go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 draws this contrast very well for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. You see, there was a time in time past when the Gentiles, because they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, uh, they were without God in the world. Right? There was a difference. There was a distinction that God had put in place between Jew and Gentile. And if the Gentile wanted to come to God, they had to come and join themselves to Israel. Alright, that was, you know, God was the Lord God of Israel. Uh, and any Gentiles that you see in the Old Testament, that's how they came to God. The Gentiles that Christ deals with in His earthly ministry, that's how they came to God. Uh, verse 13 though says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That distinction is done away in Christ. And so verse 14 says, For He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain of the two, of Jew and Gentile, one new man, so making peace. And that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. And, and you see that distinction done away. And I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if that's not our commission in Mark 16, what is our commission? Um, you know, what, what should we be doing? If we're, not, if we're not doing those things there, what should we be doing? Well, here in 2 Corinthians 5, you, you find a pretty good passage that would tell you what you're commission is. Um, verse 18 says, All things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, 
to wit that God was in Christ, in, in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What's been committed to you? What was committed to Peter in the twelve was the gospel of the kingdom, to go out and, and preach that gospel, to baptize those that believed, and next time we'll see the signs that he said would follow that. That was their commission. And that's just what they do there in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Well, what's our commission? Our commission, what's been committed to us, is this word of reconciliation to wit, to, to witness that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. You see, that's the message we take out into the world. And verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.